back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray podcast, where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to become more dedicated and devout disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. Um, hope that everything went well for you and that you're able to um, worship the Lord over the Sabbath, and that you were able to partake of the sacrament. Um, just a quick side note. I was looking through. I was like, and I, last week when I saw we weren't going to finish the Come Follow Me, I was like, well, how, how much, you know, how close were we? And I saw that basically we finished off Romans and I was, I was a little bit blown away. That was a lot of, that was a lot of reading, which I hope you all had the chance to get to and read through uh, because there were some wonderful teachings in there. Um, but Romans is over. And so today we're going to be jumping into Corinthians. And so let's go ahead and get started there. Uh, before we do, as always, let's start off with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day, and we thank Thee for the chance we have to study the Scriptures together. Father, we thank Thee for the safety that we've enjoyed, and we thank Thee for Thy love and guidance with us. We ask a special blessing, Father, upon those who may be suffering from the weather or the um, the elements that around the world. Please bless them that they will have the guidance and help that they need. Please bless us, Father, that we will have thy spirit with us now as we study, that we might know in what ways we can become better and become closer to thee. Closer to thee. We pray for these things humbly, Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's jump right in. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, be theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you, so that ye are come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to check on this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Verse 8. And who shall, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is faithful by whom ye are called unto fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. So there's his big salutation. You know, you know, as we as we saw in Romans, so we see in Corinthians, he's going to start off with a big, huge, you know, hello, I'm Paul. This is who I'm writing with. This is, you know, what we're, I'm so glad to meet you. Or I, I, I here's the news I've heard. All these different kinds of things. He kind of just gives a this in the New Testament student manual it calls it as a salutation. But the thing I wanted to check really quick was where he says, uh, no, I've lost it there in verse seven, so that ye come behind in no gift. So basically saying, you know, you're you're not behind anyone in in the in the spiritual gifts or in the gifts of God because you're. you're he's, it seems to me, from what I'm getting from it, it seems to me that that Paul is is happy with the Corinthians. He feels like the Corinthians are in a good place in the church, that they that they are working hard and they're striving. Let's go ahead and check out the New Testament student manual and see what it says. It says that Paul's companion Sosthenes, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, 
was perhaps the one-time ruler of the synagogue at Corinth. Sosthenes was the successor of Crispus, who was converted and baptized by Paul. Paul's salutation in this epistle was addressed to the saints, just as official church correspondence in our day is addressed to the saints. Paul's salutation mentioned God the Father and Jesus Christ as separate and distinct. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in verse 3. Paul taught the saints in Corinth that they were enriched by Jesus Christ in every way, in speech and in knowledge. All right, so nothing too doctrinally profound there, just a big, warm hello. And also another moment to say, okay, look, you know, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are two distinct individuals. All right, verse 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. All right, so we're starting to he's diving in. I, there's some... There's some um, there's some dissension about doctrine. And in verse 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. All right. Let's jump over to the New Testament soon, and then we'll kind of come, come back. So it says, Paul had received a report from a, con from a congregation that met in the house of Chloe, a prominent woman among the Corinthian saints, concerning problems in the church at Corinth. Church members were divided into factions, and some of these divisions were based on who had performed their baptisms. Paul taught that there was no status gained by receiving baptism from a specific individual. Members are to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment with Christ at their head. Paul later taught the saints that the disputes and divisions among them occurred because some of them were carnal rather than spiritual. All right, so this kind of goes back to what we, we, we've talked about this before, um, about how it doesn't matter who your family is or what, what lineage you come from, so long as, as you are seeking the will of God. Similarly here, we find a, a, a similar topic that we have these saints who are arguing about, well, I was baptized by so-and-so, and I was baptized by so-and-so, so that makes me more righteous than you because I was baptized by an apostle of the Lord. Well, I was baptized by Christ himself, or I was, and that, and Paul's telling us, that's not the point, that there should be no divisions amongst you because it doesn't matter. What matters is the ordinance. If the ordinance is done correctly and done properly, then the blessings that come to you will not be greater because of any one person who baptized or blessed you. That's not the point. The point is that it's supposed to be an ordinance between you and between God. So that's, I think, kind of what Paul is pointing to a little bit when he says, 
for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I, to me, that almost sounds like my whole role is not to baptize you. Your baptism is between you and God. Sure, I may have been the one to dunk you in the water. You know, that might seem a little crass, but that as 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 an officiate, as as the priesthood in, in the ordinance, I I officiate the ordinance, but that is but that's it. I I don't do I'm not a, a part of this. This is an ordinance between you and between God. Similar to how the way when we when we go to the temple and we partake in temple ordinances, it's not about oh well who is the temple worker or who is this person or who it doesn't matter. It is the ordinance is between you and Christ. And so Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Our goal, our whole role is not to baptize individuals. It's not to convert people to the church. That is not our job. You will, that was one thing that I personally learned on my mission was that if I went out there, as I went out there to try and, and convert, to convince people, not to con- even even to convert, I thought I could I could logically explain the gospel to individuals in such a way that it would be undeniable. That it would be undeniable. They would have, they would if they thought about it logically, they, they would have to join the church. It would just make complete and total sense that I was sent to baptize. And that is not the case. Paul tells us here, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross, is verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. All right, that is, that is very important to look at and to think about. Let's read the New Testament manual, and then we'll then I'll kind of ramble on for a second about my my own thoughts. Um, <clears throat> it says Paul's primary message was the preaching of the cross, which he taught was the power of God to save those who believed. Paul used the phrase "the cross" as a kind of shorthand reference to the atonement. The atonement, however, involved more than Christ's death on the cross. Elder C. Scott Grow of the Seventy taught, quote, "Through his suffering and death." the Savior atoned for the sins of all men. His atonement began in Gethsemane and continued on the cross and and culminated in the resurrection. So what Paul is telling us then is that his whole purpose is not to bring you to the church, to bring you to the waters of baptism. No, his whole goal is to bring you to Christ. His whole goal is to bring you to a greater relationship with the Lord and Savior, and thereby you then will make those choices. If it is your desire to continue your path to the Savior, you will make the choices requisite for that, including coming to church and partaking in baptism. Those things will be the fruits. They're not the seed that you're out there planting. They are the fruits. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. It doesn't, it's, it's not about the baptism. The baptism is the ordinance and is the gateway and the start of our journey as disciples of the Lord. But it doesn't matter who did it or, oh, I, I, I was baptized in this river. Or, oh, well, I was baptized in this temple or I was baptized in this church or I was, that is not important. 
as Paul says, as it's mentioned that Paul's going to say in, in Corinthians 3, verse Corinthians 3, that is too carnally minded. Why does it matter where or who or when we were baptized? What matters is that we have partaken in this ordinance and we are beginning on a journey to try and come back to the Lord. Um, so let's jump back to the New, Te New Testament student manual. It has a little bit about the wisdom of the world. So it says, when Paul spoke against the wisdom of this world, um, he was referring to the flawed philosophical traditions of this day and not of the worthwhile pursuits of learning and education that the Lord encourages. Paul used the words wise and wisdom repeatedly in 1 Corinthians 1.17 through chapter 2, verse 13, to refer to worldly philosophies and those who supported them. Philosophical ideas were regularly the subject of public debates. Paul contrasted limited human wisdom with the powerful message of God's crucified Son. Regardless of those who scoffed at the gospel, the saints' faith should not depend on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. The message of a crucified Messiah was difficult for both Jews and Gentiles to accept. In the Roman world, crucifixion was a punishment reserved for criminals or slaves and symbolized shame and defeat. The idea of someone vicariously suffering and dying for others, then subsequently coming back to life, was foolishness to the philosophically-minded Greeks. For the Jews, whose concept of the Messiah brought the, ex the expectation of royalty, power, and victory, the message of the Messiah, th that the Messiah had died on a cross was a stumbling block and an unacceptable idea. All right, let's read through a little bit, and then I'm going to get fired up here for a second. All right, so <clears throat> in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, but not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So that's one thing that the New Testament student manual says that obviously the there 
It is important for us to learn and to gain an education in this world. We should be seeking to be constantly learning and be constantly aware of the things of this world. But there is a difference between gaining knowledge and making knowledge the end. One thing that I, as as I've been doing this podcast with you, and as I've been studying these scriptures, the thing that I have begun to ask myself more and more often is why? Why am, not just why, but why am I doing this? What is the purpose? What is the purpose of me going to school? Why am I seeking a degree? What is the purpose? Am I seeking it to get get the glory to get the glory and the the uh, the the applause? I guess I can think of the word the the admiration of men around me. Oh man, he he got a degree. He has this he has this coveted degree in a very difficult. In a very difficult field, that was once my goal. I will be—I will be one hundred percent honest with you. I once had the intention that I was going to double major in these two difficult, these two difficult fields, and then it was going to look so good, and I would be so prestigious. And oh man, how did you do two of those? And oh, it was just absolutely astounding. And I got beat up. <laughs> to be one hundred percent honest with you, I got beat up by God a little bit. And it came to the point where I could continue to press forward like a stubborn-headed bull or I needed to change course because it wasn't really working. Not like I'd envisioned. And so God asked me, why are you doing this? And I had to come to the realization that I really didn't have a very good reason. I really didn't. And that I was wasting time and resources for nothing. Hence, using the term wasting. And that it's not necessary that we follow the rules that the world has set out for us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying education is a bad thing. As Paul says, there is, as the New Testament student manual says, there there, there is education that is encouraged by the Lord, and we should be educated people. We should be well-taught and well-learned. We should not be ignorant of the world around us. But we must be wary of the wisdom of the world. Let's read this real quick in the New Testament student manual. While many Jews and Gentiles rejected the gospel message as foolishness, Paul taught that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God often performs his work through individuals whom the world might consider to be foolish or weak. In 1 Corinthians 1.28, the base things of the world, those who are lowly and humble, are those whom God chooses to accomplish his work. President Boyd K. Packer of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained how the Lord uses common members of the church to further his work. He said, quote, the church has no professional clergy. The call to leadership positions worldwide is drawn from the congregation. We have no seminaries for the training of professional leaders. Everything that is done in the church, the leading, the teaching, the calling, the ordaining, the praying, the singing, the preparation of the sacrament, the counseling, and everything else is done by ordinary members. 
the weak things of the world. That comes from his, Octo his 2007 October General Conference talk titled, The Weak and Simple Things of the Church. Let's continue. Let's finish off 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. And things which are despised, of, are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not, and to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, whom of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that is, that is the simplistic beauty of the gospel. We may not be learned as to the things of the world. We may not, we may not have degrees to attach to our names or you know the, the the titles or the prefixes of doctor or professor or things like that that we can that we can slap on or we we may even have those things we are all the children of god and it is good to be learned it is good to gain education it is good to learn and know things but we must be wary, brothers and sisters, that our education is based on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. A foundation whereon men, if men build, they cannot fall. That is what Paul is trying to get across to us again and again and again. And it's almost like the whole point of the Bible is to lead us to Christ or something. But that is the point. That is what Paul is trying to tell us, is that without the Lord Jesus Christ as our main goal, without the Lord Jesus Christ as our leader, as our true and only God, our life becomes more complicated and it won't work the way we want it to. We must bring ourselves into the alignment with the will of the Father. I testify that this is true. I look forward to studying the remainder of these things out with you in the coming days. I pray that you will be able to continue to study as we do so, because there are so many wonderful things. Most of all, I pray that you and I will be able to come closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and maintain that trajectory, because that is what the whole point of the Bible is to lead us back to Christ and to have him be our very core. I testify that as we do that, we will be upon the sure foundation whereupon if men build, they cannot fall. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>